There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Friday, May 6th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the local stories we're working on today. The defamation case between actors Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is on break for two weeks. Our John Doman has been covering the Fairfax trial and summarizes what we've missed. What we had heard a few weeks ago left us with the impression that she was this really terrible person and that he was the victim here. Then now you've got the flip side of the story, which you know portrays Johnny Depp as a drug-using, drunk, jealous, rage-filled man. And then we look to how this case is highlighting the complexity of domestic violence claims and could set precedent with local law professor Jamie Abrams. Irony of all ironies, the entire defamation suit arises from Amber Heard specifically saying that she paid a price for coming forward. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. The dual defamation trial of actors Amber Heard and Johnny Depp is capturing national attention, not just for the celebrity drama and at times unbelievable details being shared in the courtroom that give a glimpse to the life of a celebrity, but for the myriad questions it pulls to the forefront when it comes to legal theory, gendered violence, and even the impact on our society as a whole. We'll start with the trial itself and establish what's been going on with WTOP's John Doman, who has been covering this defamation trial for three weeks. So, John, the trial, it's on break until the jury comes back in two weeks. Amber Heard took the stand in the last few days. Let's start with her claims and what you think were the highlights of her case. Well, I mean, this this whole trial has been just sort of a circus in terms of outlining from from day one that this couple met all the way through their dating to their marriage and then literally it seems like they've gone through every single fight and not just documenting every single fight that might have happened but every little detail of those fights as well wow just uncovering sort of just the worst moments of any couple and it's just being magnified to hundreds of thousands of people who are watching the various links of this to you know the millions more reading about it it's 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 unfortunate and it's I mean, it's just kind of competing claims about two people who who clearly, by the end of their toxic relationship, probably despised each other and are just sort of out for vengeance now. And they're just trying to make each other seem to be the, the, the worst possible people they could be. In Amber Heard's case, it's going through the allegations that she was abused psychologically, physically, sexually by Johnny Depp. It started with slapping um, and it got to be like repetitive slaps where he'd hold me um, in a position and slap me multiple times um, in a row. She had some really graphic details about some of the allegations that she made. I've never been so scared in my life. The stories we've heard are just, they're tragic, they're unfortunate, and it's its just crazy. Do you think that her taking the stand, that was the, the highlight for, for her case? I mean, to make her claims that when she wrote that she was a victim of domestic violence, yeah, she kind of had to do that because when Johnny Depp was on the stand a few weeks ago, uh, he had some some really just 
crazy stories and, and he had audio of the fights where she admitted to hitting him. I did not hurt you. I did not punch you. I was hitting you. How are you? Talking? How, what am I supposed to do? Do this? I, I'm not sitting here bitching about it, am I? You are. And sort of, sort of belittled him for complaining about it. Why would you hit someone to make them agree with you? I don't think it works. <laughs> and so, you know, what we had heard a few weeks ago left us with the impression that she was this really terrible person and that he was the victim here, which obviously is, is what Johnny Depp's side was trying to portray. Mm. And then now you've got sort of the flip side of the story, which, you know, portrays Johnny Depp as a, a drug using, drunk, jealous, rage filled man who not just hit her, but just, you know, at times beat the crap out of her and, and did a lot of things that were just, you know, mind boggling to, to, I think what most people would think is proper conduct. And did she have any evidence much like Depp had of the recording? Did she bring forth some evidence? So she did have some pictures that she claims were taken after some of those attacks, documenting some of the injuries. It was just whacking me in the face, like repetitive. We saw things like black eyes and bloody lips and that, and that sort of thing. You know, that, that was their evidence. But she also claimed to have witnesses. So I'm convinced at the end, the only winners are going to be their lawyers because each of them have two tables of lawyers in this courtroom who have to be just racking up the money because the trial is moving so slowly. Like you guys mentioned, they're on a break now. They don't come back until May 16th. And the judge is adamant that closing arguments will start uh, the Friday going into Memorial Day weekend. Mm. So it's gone just bananas. And and I, I feel like a lot of people have sort of lost track of really what's being talked about here because it's it, it sounds more like a just a, a sliming and a divorce proceeding than it is actually something about defamation law yeah well thanks john doman for taking the time to kind of establish these details of the trial for us i know it was a tough assignment but uh, i guess we'll see what the jury has to say when they come back in a few weeks so we now turn to the legal side of things with professor of law at university of louisville jamie abrams she actually is a local professor. She lives in Virginia, and she's an expert in gendered violence, masculinity theory, and feminist theory. So, Professor, we just heard a recap of testimony so far from both Depp and Heard. Claims of violence are being made by both, but both are actually suing for defamation, not assault. So can you clarify what this trial is really about <laughs> and what will happen to either you know Depp or Heard if found guilty? Yes, it, it is hard to keep our eye on what this trial is really about. There's really a dizzying swirl of layers to this case, including a family law layer as well, revealing an intimate relationship and the breakup of this marriage. Um, but what this case is really about are really two things. One, financial compensation for harm to reputation, and two, clearing one's name. And because there are competing claims, it is both for both. So both Heard and Depp are seeking financial compensation for harms they allege derived from a false statement, and both are seeking to clear their names. Um, so on that front, when we look ahead to what the implications on, of the case will ultimately be, assuming this case gets all the way to a jury verdict and doesn't settle before, we will be looking at financial compensation changing hands to some degree. The claims are $50 million in Depp's case, $100 million in Heard's case. So very serious money changing hands. Of course, the jury doesn't have to give that amount. It could give something vastly different. Right. Um, but then we're also looking at this reputational piece. And on that front, it's super interesting. 
interesting because Depp has come to a court to clear his name and he is certainly using every aspect of this trial, both the jury and the the, the real trial, but also the context of the trial to clear his name. Mm. And he's really capitalizing, I think, on every moment he has to do that. And just to clarify, so no one's going to be charged with or found guilty of assault despite these accusations and these incredibly horrible situations we're hearing about. That's exactly right. We're having sort of a criminal trial really within a civil trial. So damages are on the line, even though we are talking about criminal acts or potentially criminal acts. I have a question about the money. I mean, it's 50 million, as you said, 100 million. Do you have any indication of how they determine the amount? Is it just based on the punitive damages they think they sustained? For me, the most interesting part of the case sits in this question, if we put aside all of the swirl and the the draw of this case, because each side needs to be able to draw a direct line from the defamatory statement to this huge number. So they need to be able to show not all the collateral consequences of this case. Depp needs to show that this op-ed published on one day in the Washington Post by Amber Heard that doesn't name him led to $50 million in harm directly from an op-ed, not the demise of the marriage, not issues with drugs, not his life and history of violence in his own family. A direct line from an op-ed, and they have to show that causally has harmed his reputation and harmed to his career to the tune of $50 million from that op-ed. And Mm. once we narrowly focus on that, it's a much harder case for him. And the more appeal he draws publicly, the more he actually ironically undermines his claim. As people swoon to him, as people, people seem to be doing in the public domain, he's actually undermining his own case because he's suggesting that maybe he hasn't suffered such a reputational harm at all. Yeah, because he has all this support. Okay, and, and this whole trial is playing out, you know, not in Hollywood, but in Fairfax County, Virginia, uh, what impact does the location have here? Does it favor either Depp or does it favor Heard? Yeah, it's such a fascinating component to consider here in the Beltway. So the facts of this case, of course, arose in Los Angeles County predominantly. The op-ed was published through the Washington Post housed here in Fairfax County. So that's logistically why we're here. But as to who it favors, I would say before the trial started, this distinctly favored death. That's actually why we're in Virginia, because Virginia had at the time a uniquely weak law, what's known as an anti-slap law, a law that is supposed to protect against strategic suits to silence public participation on issues of public importance. So if this case had been brought in California, Heard might have had the case dismissed saying that Depp was doing this to silence her. Hmm. Virginia at the time had a much weaker law on that front, which it has interestingly since amended. So early on, I would have said that the case favored Depp because we might not be going to trial had we been in a state like California. However, as the case proceeds and as this sort of spectacle, for lack of a better legal frame, unfolds, I am uniquely interested to see how the Fairfax jurors process this. This really comes down not to what a meme says or what Instagram says. It comes down to what these jurors conclude based on this testimony. And after the break, Professor Abrams tells us what's at stake in this case, both from a legal perspective and a societal one. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. 
For a partner you can trust, who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download Podcast. Megan and I do this show all on our own, and we appreciate you making us a part of your day. If you like the show or have a suggestion, let us know by leaving a review or rating the show. Both of those things help us get better and help us grow our audience. Thanks again. We return now to our conversation with law professor Jamie Abrams, who's providing us greater context on the Depp and Heard trial. And so, Professor Abrams, we were talking about, you know, the jurors really having the final say here. So depending on what they say, how precedent setting would their decision be on this case? And how consequential is this case in general? I think there's a lot of interesting pieces to watch in terms of the consequences of this case. First, it's the first case that will actually get us to a result. We've not seen tested in the Me Too era, a defamation case that goes all the way to trial. And so typically a defamation case is offered as a sort of strategic context within a larger body of legal maneuvers. Here, the fact that this case will get all the way to a jury, to a verdict and potentially a payout changes the stakes from just a possible defensive maneuver where defamation law previously sat in in the context of Me Too cases Mm -hmm. to an actually tried and tested theory. And so it will be very interesting to see if this happens, because if the case succeeds for Depp, I think we will see more people accused of abuse and harassment, assault, sexual assault, bringing claims like this. And what does this case mean for the Me Too movement? You kind of just touched on that, but do you think it's going to be consequential from like a a societal standpoint, even beyond the courtroom? Oh, I have so much to say about that part of it. There's so much to unpack about how this connects to the Me Too movement, because irony of all ironies, the entire defamation suit arises from Amber Heard specifically saying that she paid a price for coming forward. That's what her underlying statement was as she sits here questioning whether she will actually pay a $50 million price for coming forward. Yeah. So the, the irony is really stark. But the thing that really troubles me in watching this, and the more that I have spoken publicly about this case, is the more my phone rings of moms of high school students, college students, right? We're talking about a case that has become like a Hollywood blockbuster in its coverage, But the people watching it across America who are currently wondering whether to come forward with a claim or how to come forward with a claim, there is a real silencing effect no matter what happens with this case to watching it, particularly um, as a woman seeing how Amber Heard has been so villainized and demonized, mocked, humiliated. Imagine being a victim's rights advocate sitting in small town America with this case happening in the background and talking to a young girl, a young man who wants to come forward with a story of sexual assault, wants Mm -hmm. to seek Title IX protections. This case is really threatening to that context, which is exactly what the the Me Too movement's greatest success was bringing stories from these whisper networks in private shadows to the public. And it was to seek accountability you know, hear, heard, and Depp have resources. They can hire the greatest lawyers there in the country. Right. But They're celebrities. For ordinary, yeah. yeah, exactly. For an ordinary family, this is, this is your life savings. You have to make a choice. You have to tell your daughter or your son to keep their story private. You can't put it on social media because if you do, even if proven that it was true, you still have to pay to defend yourself in the suit. 
So I want to get I want to get your thoughts on the idea of the so-called perfect victim and how as a culture we think of a domestic violence victim as someone who is through and through victimized. They've never fought back. They've never hit back. They've never said anything they shouldn't say or sent any, you know, exhibited any violent behavior toward their aggressor. In this case, both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are claiming they are a victim of domestic violence and both have presented evidence that the other was violent toward them. So I'm wondering, you know, we don't know the outcome of this trial, but what message does it send to domestic violence victims watching this that if you fought back or if there's evidence against you for being violent, okay, maybe you shouldn't seek legal means at all because you could become vilified. You could become, you know, a meme like Amber Heard has. This is the conversation as a country we should be having, not about Johnny Depp's interesting facial expressions and attempts to learn hearsay law, right? Like this is <laughs> this is the conversation. Right. I mean, we what we've really revealed and how we're talking about this case is a profound normalization of intimate violence that we can't even have, that we don't even see that. We're just moving right past that. The claims of violence are graphic. They're really raw and searing. The language, you can feel the anger, the hurt, the power, you can feel it all. And we're flying right past that and having this interesting conversation about what folks are wearing in court and how they're, what their facial expressions right, are. How their hair is done, yeah. And so any case like this that takes on a life of its own, like this one has, really threatens to solidify or cement or lock in these um, really harmful stereotypes that have plagued the domestic violence movement and women's rights advocacy on sexual assault and violence too. First of all, perpetrators can be men and women, and that's an important piece of this case, Mm. but also perpetrators of domestic violence, of rape, sexual assault can be profoundly revered, adored, charming, all of these pieces. And so we get this sort of lifetime movie vision of what a victim might look like as a a meek sort of submissive. And we don't see how all the different ways in which power dynamics and agency play out in intimate relationships. And here it is a double layer of complicated because many of the most high profile Me Too cases involved abuses of power in employment settings where it was dramatically more black and white that in no place in any workplace setting does this language apply, does any touching is appropriate. Here, we're talking about an intimate relationship. And in family law, for example, the standard to prove domestic violence in for the purposes of a fault-based divorce is higher Mm. than it is to to prove domestic violence, to get like a protective order. And what does that mean? It sort of bakes into our legal system a a degree of conflict and and even violence to some small degree that sits in intimate relationships. So we also have to really be thinking about who is a victim and what does it mean to be a victim and where is this victim? But I do think when we come out of this, we have really important cultural reflections and legal reflections about how we define, understand, and support victims of violence, victims of sexual harassment, victims of rape and sexual assault. And so we've seen the memification of this case, which we've kind of been talking about, really play out on social media. There are videos with millions and millions of views. I think you referenced it of, you know, Depp understanding hearsay laws. And, you know, there are kind of funny emojis and sounds and editing that really make these videos kind of lean towards Depp's favor. Why is it that social media has such power in this case? And why is it becoming such an item on these platforms? It really has. I have seen so many of these memes and in a way it is searing to imagine 
that this is how, as a culture, we are processing and the world is observing us too, mm-hmm. uh, processing violence. It says so much about our culture and it's deeply problematic to watch. It's certainly where we are as a country and the sort of memification of how we process politics and how we understand it. But I really hope we can move past this and get to much more difficult conversations about how we support victims and the way laws can be used both as a tool to support victims and as a weapon to harm them. Professor Jamie Abrams, professor of law at the University of Louisville, thank you so much. That was really enlightening and helped us understand this better than an internet meme would. That's for sure. Thank you so much. And before we go... I have to tell you about a pretty big purchase that our friend Luke Garrett made on the Craigslist.com. Apparently, you went out and met a stranger. (laughs) Yes, yes. I love Craigslist, by the way. It's one of the best platforms ever. If you know how to use it, really. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I made No, there's some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, So me and my buddy, we went on Craigslist, and we bought some proper speakers. And what do I mean by proper speakers? Yes, what do you mean? Um, Basically, speakers that are about hip hip height, so like three or four feet tall. Oh, wow. And have like a foot of depth. These are speakers that were mostly made in like the 80s and 90s, I think. Honestly, I'm not that sure, but they're just big old speakers and the three <laughs> system speakers and they changed music for me. So I got a set of these speakers like years ago and everyone I meet who I get relatively close to, I'm always just like, hey, you need to invest 80 bucks in a Craigslist <laughs> speaker set because they're so good. Wait, so you had you already had these speakers. Why do you need a second set? To give it to my friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you gifted speakers? Well, I gifted the finding of them. He paid the cash. I just kind of was the consultant, you could say, the speaker <laughs> consultant to spread the joy of high-quality sound. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. These speakers change music. You sit in front of these guys, and you hear music, and you feel it. It's like the sound waves are as big as your chest. The music you love, you hear the intricacies of it. And it's just, it's just mind-blowing. I like, love how into this you are. Oh, no. When I, people come to my apartment, I sit them down in front of my speakers. And I say, you know, pressure's on, your favorite song. And then I play that song for them. And then I've, like, drawn tears from people before. Just at, like, the Oh, qual- my God. And I think- That's our, very cool. My generation, like, Gen Z, millennial, we're used to, like, Mac speakers, basically. Speakers on our phone or earbuds. Right. You know, which are can be high quality, but- Few people of my generation have really heard the gravity, smoothness, and power of sound waves that are as big as your chest or as big as like your head and your ears. And once you feel it, oh, it's like nothing else. Wait, it's- what's your favorite song? What's, what, what would be the song if I sat you down in front of the speakers and put you on the, on the spot? Oh, well, the song that like makes me the most emotional and like gets me there, I think it's called like Impromptu by Frederick Chopin. He's like a pianist yeah. um, from Poland. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of an old guy, but... That song, oh, there's so many intricacies because Chopin is so good. Yeah. And playing the piano is so complex. And you miss it when you're like having just headbuds in or playing it on a computer. Um, so that song is fantastic. And then also just, you know, any song with like a solid level of bass, like Tame and Paula. Honestly, mm-hmm. anything from his Currents album. Um, you listen to Tame and Paula on speakers like these, like, uh, it's just unreal. Unreal. I mean, now I'm about to go to Craigslist.com and see if I can find myself some bad boys. You don't have to. I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be my consultant. All right. That, that's it for today. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download. We're sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance this weekend. And follow us on social media, where we post content every day from behind the scenes of making this podcast. 
You can find out more about the show and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WCOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great weekend, everyone.